They've been awarded the most talented radio morning crew in America for three years in a row. But we couldn't afford them, so we have Kwame and Company on 91.5 and 102.7 The Word. All right, Rick. An unusual Kwame and Company uh, today. This is uh, Kwame and Company podcast number 32. And, uh, yeah, it, it's a very special podcast. I'm, I'm proud to be able to present this. Uh, we we ran a special uh, program on the air from Moody Broadcasting titled After the Attack on Israel. When terrorists attacked Israel on October 7th, they raped, burned, and killed and took hostages. And, shockingly, many Americans are supportive of Hamas. Well, Moody Radio presented a, a, a 55-minute documentary titled After the Attack on Israel, Making Sense of the Senseless, uh, wrestling with the questions that people have on both sides of the conflict, including uh, a, a time of prayer. Uh, the guests will include Joel Rosenberg, uh, Tom Doyle, Charlie Dyer, Michael Rydelnik, and Justin Cron, uh, plus an eyewitness account on the attack in Israel, uh, and this put together by our friend John Geiger. Uh, so uh, we're we're going to be airing the special on our podcast today, and uh, we'll jump right in here. Thank you for listening. I think this will be something you may want to go back to several times and recommend to your friends. It's the special After the Attack on Israel, our Kwame & Company podcast for today. October 7th, 2023. They came by land, sky, and sea. In the early morning hours, thousands of rockets rained down on Israel. Some 1,500 Hamas terrorists smashed through border fences. Targeting 22 Israeli towns, they killed, raped, burned, and they took hostages. What Hamas set in motion is what this hour is all about. Moody Radio presents After the Attack on Israel, Making Sense of the Senseless. Here's Moody Radio's John Geiger. When the terrorists came and the rockets fell, what was it like to be there in Israel? Erez Zorif will never forget it. He serves as president of One for Israel, a ministry that reaches Jews and Arabs. It's a Saturday morning, 6.30. You know, Saturday is the day that uh, we worship in our church here. I was a speaker that day, and so I got up at like 6.30, and I'm hearing those strange bangs that I cannot make out. And I was like, what is happening? Is somebody dropping heavy stuff on my roof? So I get up, and I look at my phone, and I cannot believe my eyes. You know, I look at the news, and we live on the hills, the Judean hills outside of Jerusalem, and we have all the lowlands of Israel all the way to Ashkelon and Ashdod, uh, we can see it from our yard, and I'm seeing those, you know, smoke mushrooms, and, and I'm hearing the bombs drop, and I cannot believe my eyes. So just uh, absolutely uh, shocking. This realization that it's a full-scale war came probably around 2 p.m., I would say. How so much damage could be done in so little time is partly a function of scale. Remember, Israel is about the size of New Jersey. Nothing, including enemy rocket fire, is ever that far away. The distances we're talking about in American sizes are very, very small. So imagine 
you know, from Dallas to Fort Worth, that's about the distance between the Gaza Strip and where we live. And so the, the distances that you're seeing on the map are much, much, much shorter than that. I mean, no more than, let's say, maximum uh, eight or 10 miles in radius. And so when you're when you're on a truck, I mean, it's a matter of minutes. So your country's under attack, but you don't know how far reaching this conflict is or how long it will last. How do you maintain a sense of equilibrium? Again, Erez Soref. That's been a, a very difficult uh, time for all of us, particularly the first, I think the first two days were absolutely, absolutely horrible, uh, where you're kind of between trying to maintain some sort of a routine and doing something useful and, and something positive and, and helping the ones you need and then having to, you know, having a siren, having to run to the safe room. Generally speaking, it's very, very, very difficult. I mean, I mean, I, bar- I mean, I think most of us we barely sleep at night. Uh, just the thoughts and the concern, and thinking about people we know that are much more in harm's way than we are. I mean, you know, we have sirens and we go to the safe room, but there's a lot of people that are way, way closer to the front lines. Abraham is one of those. His story is recounted by Tom Doyle, president of Uncharted Ministries. A popular author and international speaker, Tom is also a veteran tour guide to Israel and the Middle East. There is a man named Abraham that is 100 years old, came to faith in Christ at 98 or 99, Holocaust survivor living in southern Israel, right by the Gaza border. He heard a noise outside on the the morning that Hamas broke through and came into Israel and saw a lady on the street. He didn't know what had happened. She'd actually been shot. He walked out to help her. And then all of a sudden, her son came running out, and he was shot by the Hamas terrorists. And the 100-year-old Holocaust survivor looked up and saw Hamas coming. They were literally within feet of him, and he got as fast as he could back into his apartment and was just thankful to God that he was not killed. He God spared him. He was able to get back in. He's fine. But it was very, very traumatic for Holocaust survivors living down in that area, for sure. Comments from Tom Doyle. You've joined us for After the Attack on Israel, Making Sense of the Senseless. Throughout this hour, we'll be asking the same tough questions you've been asking, or maybe questions that others are asking you. I'll do my best to stay out of the way and get you the answers you're seeking. But I should warn you, the comments you hear may be quite different from what you encounter on mainstream media. The people we're talking with today are blunt and passionate. Strap on your helmet. This is war. Question one. Exactly who are the Palestinians? What's their origin? Amir Sarfati is the founder of Behold Israel. An author and conference speaker, he has a worldwide online teaching ministry. Palestinians are basically a collection of Arabs from different Arab countries around Israel of today and Palestine of up until 1948. Uh, most of them migrated into Israel following the return of the Jews back to the land that brought with them innovation, technology, and agriculture. And that, of course, opened for many of the Arabs opportunities new opportunities, and they just moved into the land. Okay, so they moved into the land. But what about that name, Palestine? Where did that come from? 
the name Palestine has nothing to do with Arabs or Muslims. It's an ancient name that was given by Adrian Caesar in 135 to mock the Jews and name the land after the Philistines, who were, by the way, from the Greek Isles. And so the name is not theirs, the land is not theirs, and there is no Palestinian heritage or identity. I mean, I mean, show me the Palestinian era in any archaeological digs. Show me any artifacts from their being here. I mean, we can detail every empire, every group of people that ever lived here. We have writings. And by the way, throughout history, not a single minute in the history of planet Earth there was ever a Palestinian state. So to use the term to give back is obviously grammatically wrong because they never had it to begin with. So if the Arabs never had it to begin with, does that mean they were never offered a land of their own? Dr. Charlie Dyer is a noted Middle East authority who has led more than 100 trips to Israel. He has also spent time in Jordan, Egypt, Turkey, and Iraq, and has written extensively on Middle East issues. In 1947, Israel accepted the partition of the land into two states. It was the Arabs who rejected that. As a result of that fighting, there were about 650,000 Palestinians who lost their homes and became refugees. But about 750,000 Jews were forced to flee from the Arab countries where they lived. They also became refugees. The difference is that Israel took in the Jewish refugees, while the surrounding Arab countries forced their refugees to live in refugee camps. Now, stay with us for this brief history lesson, because it has everything to do with what's going on now. Again, Dr. Charlie Dyer. Uh, In 1967, uh, the Six-Day War, Israel captured the West Bank, Golan Heights, Gaza, and Sinai in a defensive war against nations that had vowed to push the Jews into the sea. Now, Afterward, Israel offered to exchange the land for peace, but that was rejected by the Arabs. They said no peace with Israel, no negotiations with Israel, no recognition of Israel. But let me jump forward in time. Uh, In 2005, Israel withdrew completely from Gaza. Hamas took control there in 2007. And since then, Israel's had to fight five wars against Hamas because of Hamas's aggression. Uh, The current round of fighting started with an invasion by Hamas terrorists who overran more than 20 villages in Israel proper, killing a 1,000 Israeli civilians, including women and children and the elderly, and taking more than 100 hostages. Americans are, are notoriously bad at history and geography, and that makes them vulnerable to social media lies and half-truths. The idea that Israel's just getting what's coming to them, well, at its core, that's anti-Semitic. It's saying the Jews are responsible and deserve to be punished, and that's just wrong. It's amazing to me what I've seen, some of the comments I've seen on social media, I mean, which essentially say to the effect, this is what Israel has been doing to the Palestinians for the last 75 years, and and so they deserve what they get. Justin Krohn is the founding director of the Kesher Project, educating believers about the Jewish foundations of the Christian faith while combating anti-Semitism. He spent hundreds of hours interviewing Palestinians and Israelis for the film Hope in the Holy Land. People have just been believing lies about Israel. I I challenge one person to come up with a video of Israel doing something to the Palestinians that comes close to what Hamas uh, did to the Israelis on October 7th. Just just find me one, and I, I don't think they'll be successful. 
Dr. Michael Rydelnik is the son of Holocaust survivors. Today, he is vice president and academic dean and professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. He regularly travels to and writes about Israel. We asked him about the charge you often hear in the media that Israel has stolen land. No land has been stolen. Israel, first of all, has a divine right to the land. Israel has land that was partitioned by the United Nations, and uh, Israel accepted that partition in 1947. Uh, The Arab states did not. Israel has land that they are administering right now in terms of the West Bank. They have that land, uh, as and they're looking for a peaceful solution to this whole matter. And it is the Palestinians who have refused to establish a state repeatedly now in this kind of partition. Charlie Dyer adds, The land was given to Israel by God in the book of Genesis. It was an unconditional covenant. They're the only country on earth that can point to a divine title deed to their land. And it was their land 2,000 years before Muhammad ever came along. Tom Doyle reminds us of a detail that is often overlooked in this conflict. I think people get lost in the fact that there was 900,000 Jewish refugees from other surrounding countries when Israel became a nation in 1948. So there has been Palestinian refugees, there's been Jewish refugees that are not even allowed to live in the countries that they came from. So uh, it's difficult to explain when you see the humanitarian needs that are off the chart for the Palestinians. But once people go there, once people hear testimonies from people that have lived there and understand the situation, they get a different idea of what's really going on. And when they realize it's their own terrorist leaders that are forcing them to live in the refugee camps, they start to have an aha moment. So, yes, we feel horrible for them. We work with them and we love them and they're in an impossible situation. But we need to pray against the terrorist government that controls them. They refuse to negotiate. They refuse to partition or accept a state. Michael Rydelnik. Ehud Barak offered them a state under the negotiations with Bill Clinton. Ehud Olmert offered Abbas a state. They have rejected every opportunity to have a state. And as a result of that, as Abba Ibn has said, the Palestinians have never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity. They have had opportunities to have a state they refuse. We often hear that Israel is an occupier. Joel Rosenberg is an American-Israeli communications strategist, author, and nonprofit executive. He's written many best-selling novels about terrorism and Bible prophecy, and he consults with presidents and kings. What about this claim of occupation? Israel doesn't occupy any of the Gaza Strip, and we haven't since 2005. In 2005, our prime minister at the time made a decision. Listen, let's just give back Gaza to all the Palestinian people that live there, two million. Uh, We would like a peace treaty, but let's just give it back as an act of goodwill. And we'll pull every soldier, every Israeli civilian out, and we'll even give them the farms that um, are producing a lot of crops for us. And that's what we did. And so the Gaza Strip should be a, a Palestinian paradise now. Instead, it was taken over by Hamas, which has turned it into a hellhole. So that's the first thing. We do not occupy one square inch of the Gaza Strip and haven't for 20 years almost. The second answer, John, is that even if you have a geopolitical 
argument with another country. That is no justification for slaughtering babies, for cutting off the heads of babies, for shooting children to death in front of their parents, shooting the parents to death in front of their children, uh, setting fire to homes of elderly Jews to burn them alive in their own homes, to burn Jews alive in their own cars, to gun down 260 Israeli Jewish young people at a music festival just trying to have fun together. Like there's no justification. That's genocide. That's those are those are war crimes and it's it's sick. And um some people need to be challenged, but but some people just need to be educated. They just don't know those things. And they're listening too much to the mainstream media or left-wing uh, you know, college campus professors who hate Israel and honestly are anti-Semitic. You're listening to After the Attack on Israel, Making Sense of the Senseless. It's a special one-hour report from this station and Moody Radio. You can hear this program again or share it with a friend when you visit moodyradio.org slash specials. Here again is John Gager. The whole world has been hearing about the Gaza Strip lately, but not many Americans have been there. Tom Doyle has some 15 times. So what's Gaza really like? There's a lot of families. It's tightly compacted. Uh, There's normal stores and things like that. Everything is very much depressed since Hamas took over. They've let things go. They really have no infrastructure to build to help expand in Gaza. They have, you know, apartments, they have restaurants, they have places like that. There's a lot of people that live their lives there and never go anywhere else. In stark contrast to the images of Gaza you see on television, there are some other images you'll never see on television. Sadly, John, there is an area that is where the Hamas millionaires live. And so in the Atlantic Monthly a few years back, they estimated that there was 700 millionaires in Gaza living there, the money that they made off terrorism. And we checked with, with our friends and our believers in Gaza as we were in there, and they said, yeah, that's probably right, at least that. So there is an area where there's homes that look like they're out of Santa Barbara, California, which you'd be shocked to see that, but nobody ever does see that on television. And what about the refugee camps that we hear so much about? A lot of poor people are caught in the refugee camps and not able to move out. So there's uh, seven or eight refugee camps there, Darabella, Jabalia, Khan Yunus, some of those. And unfortunately, it becomes a haven for terrorism. So some of the believers from the underground church live down the street from Hamas commanders, you know. The worst places are in the refugee camps that just dot the landscape of the Gaza Strip. At the epicenter of the current war is an organization called Hamas. Just who are these people and what is their goal? Scott Phillips is the CEO of Passages. Since 2016, this group has taken over 11,000 Christian students to Israel, including visits to two border villages that were decimated by the Hamas attack. Hamas is a uh, terrorist organization, recognized as a terrorist organization that emerged in the Gaza Strip many years ago, but took power after Israel withdrew from the Gaza Strip in 2005. They took power in 2006 and immediately started uh, using uh, their power in the Gaza Strip to amass rockets to fire at Israeli civilian towns and cities uh, indiscriminately at Israeli civilians. 
So they don't act like a state. They are indeed a terrorist organization. Charlie Dyer. They're founded along the same principles as al-Qaeda and ISIS. Their goal is the establishment of an Islamic state with Sharia law from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean and the complete destruction of the Jewish state and the Jewish people. To understand Hamas, look at the comparison to ISIS. Uh, Both are guilty of murder, including the beheadings of children, of burning people alive, uh, of rape and sexual exploitation, and then boasting of those so-called accomplishments on their social media. I'm astonished that people support Hamas without realizing it's a similar version of al-Qaeda and ISIS. With a bit more history, here's Joel Rosenberg. Hamas is an offshoot of the original radical Islamist terror organization which started in Egypt in 1922 called the Muslim Brotherhood. They are literally, that's the genesis of all the radical Islam that we've seen in al-Qaeda that attacked America on 9-11 and uh, has killed so many Americans. Uh, It's the genesis of ISIS, which you know, led a genocide against Christians all across Syria and Iraq and throughout the Middle East. So Hamas is funded, armed, fueled, trained, and directed by Iran. And Iran is the worst terrorist regime on the planet and has killed more Americans than any other country uh, in the modern era, certainly in the 21st century. So no, if you if you don't take this seriously now, they're coming for Americans. And, they, and uh, that's what's so dangerous. That's why we need to work together, the United States and Israel and our Arab allies. They exist for murder and mayhem. Michael Rydelnik. They are nihilistic and cynical. They only want death. They want death, not just the state of Israel, not just of Israelis, but they want to see the death, the genocide of Jewish people around the globe. They are not concerned for their own people. Every bit of social aid that comes into Gaza, they use to advance their death machinery. That's what they use it for. They get cement to build homes. They use it instead to build terror tunnels that could enter Israel or smuggling tunnels to get weaponry so they can kill Jews. They show no concern for their own people. They embed in civilian areas hoping for civilian deaths so that they can use it as a propaganda ploy. When people think, oh, this is a Palestinian liberation movement, it is not. It is radical Islam And they have proven to be worse than ISIS in their lack of morality or any sense of decency. Erez Soref agrees, adding, The real, very, very, very sad conclusion is that those extreme Muslim people from the Hamas, I mean, if they would have invested a fraction of their time, their energy and resources they've invested in the the last X amount of years when they're getting billions from the United Nations, from the U.S., from Europe— from Israel, if a fraction of that was invested in building infrastructure for their people, they would have a life. There could be some sort of a a better future for their people. But uh, the sad realization is that the blindness of and the hatred of their religion is just absolutely blinding them to anything else. And their sole desire is to see Israel destroyed, uh, which, you know, they will not. The recent attack on Israel is just one more evidence that Hamas wants nothing to do with peace of any kind. Justin Crone. What we're seeing here is the true cause is is not about living peacefully side by side with the state of Israel. It's about the destruction of Israel 
and the death of every Jew on earth. We are seeing Nazi ideology here in our day in 2023. This is the Kwame and Company podcast, a special podcast today. It's uh, the special that we aired um, on 91.5 and 102.7 from Moody Broadcasting after the attack on Israel. It's a 54-minute documentary, and we're about halfway through. So we'll, uh, uh, after a couple of announcements, we'll jump back in to the special uh, documentary after the attack on Israel here on the Kwame and Company podcast. If you wonder what happens in the end times, you'll want to read Charlie Dyer's new book, What Does the Bible Say About the Future? Charlie provides an insightful look at the end times that is grounded in Scripture. With so many opinions online, Charlie takes you to the source of truth, God's Word. Get your copy of What Does the Bible Say About the Future at moodybooks.org. That's moodybooks.org. If you joined us midstream, this is a conversation about the Hamas attack on Israel. I'm John Geiger. And maybe you wonder, what does the typical Palestinian living in Gaza really think about Hamas? Here's Charlie Dyer. Uh, the answer is rather complex. I think some agree with Hamas's goals, either because they align with Hamas's understanding of the Quran and Islam, or because they share Hamas's hatred of Israel. But many are uncomfortable with Hamas's actions, and yet they're afraid to publicly oppose them for fear of being killed themselves. Now, thankfully, some have courageously come out to oppose what, what Hamas stands for and what they've done. But sadly, that's a small minority. Scott Phillips of Passages. It seems that Hamas is quite popular among Palestinians. There was a recent survey done a few years ago where 62 percent of the Palestinian population indicated that they support violence uh, in order to get what they want, which is, in their words, to free Palestine uh, you know, from the river to the sea, which means ultimately the eradication of the Jewish state. But in actual conversations with many Palestinians, Justin Crone comes away with a different perspective. I would say the average Palestinian is not in support of Hamas. I, I know we, we see images and, and videos of, of those who are, and, and certainly there are Palestinians who voted Hamas into power many years ago. Polls have been taken that if there was another election today, that, that they would still vote Hamas into, into power. But I've spent enough time with Palestinians myself to know that uh, there is not a lot of love. Uh, in fact, some just outright hate Hamas. And so I think it's very important that we distinguish between the Palestinian people and Hamas and, and their supporters. Important point. Again, Scott Phillips. Many Palestinians want to uh, live their lives and raise their children. Unfortunately, many of them have been brainwashed by Hamas that offers them medical treatment, food, uh, work, money, in order to get their allegiance. What do average Palestinians feel about Hamas? Tom Doyle's 15 visits to Gaza have left him with this impression. The average Palestinian in Gaza detests what's going on, but there is absolutely nothing they can do. One of our friends that is a, a Muslim background believer in Gaza saw the women and children being taken that were captured through the streets of Gaza, and he wept on the street as he watched it. He said it's just 
that should never happen to women and children. And he's a relatively new believer that came out of Islam, but he was able to see straight and differentiate between the horrible treatment of the Israelis and what Hamas is doing. Tom's story underscores a critical difference we must make as believers. Michael Rydelnik clarifies. I think it's really important to distinguish between Hamas and the Palestinian people. The Palestinian people are not served well by Hamas. They are suffering because of Hamas. It's imperative that we understand as Israel fights this war, it is not targeting the Palestinian people. It is targeting this terrorist group, Hamas, for what they have instigated here. Joel Rosenberg. I am pro-Palestinian, and I'm an Israeli, and a Jew, and a follower of Jesus. I'm not pro-Hamas, no, but you can be and should be supportive as a follower of Jesus, or a human being, but certainly as a follower of Jesus, to love the Palestinians and want the best for them. There's two million Palestinians that live in the Gaza Strip. We don't want them to suffer, but they're suffering, not under Israel, but under the terrorist regime of Hamas. Look, we love the Palestinians. We think God's heart is big enough to love Jews and Palestinians, Jews and Arabs. We, we know that. Tom Doyle. Unfortunately for the Palestinians, they've been dominated by leadership that is terrorist-controlled with terrorist objectives. So Israel has a right to defend herself and put up a fence, and in some places it's a wall between Gaza and Israel and the West Bank and Israel. So we understand the suffering of the Palestinians. We see it. We, we do food distribution, medical clinics. We see it, and they are suffering. And so I have great sympathy, tremendous sympathy right now for the Palestinians who are stuck in the middle of this. Justin Crone. Uh, there's a number of, of Palestinians in Gaza who would enter into Israel uh, every day to, to go to work. They had work permits. They, they worked in some of these surrounding uh, villages that were attacked. And uh, they earned a very good living, and, and they have Jewish friends. Uh, sadly, right now, because of the situation, they can't go to work. They don't know where their, their next paycheck is going to come from. And uh, my, my heart really does go out uh, to, to the Palestinians in that situation. After the attack on Israel, making sense of the senseless. This is a special presentation for Moody Radio. Why not invite a friend to listen to the broadcast when you head to moodyradio.org specials. As evil as Hamas is, they could never have pulled off an attack of this magnitude without outside help. Marzia Emirazada says there's very little mystery about it. Marzia was born and raised in Iran. After turning to Christ, she began sharing New Testaments with people everywhere. When arrested, she was taken to Tehran's notorious Evan prison and sentenced to death by hanging. Needless to say, she has first-hand experience with Iran's cunning and cruelty. It is obvious that Iran is behind the attack by Hamas on Israel. There is no doubt. There are many evidences. There are many films and many speeches of the Ayatollahs came out that they were supporting this attack. On June 21st, Ayatollah Khamenei, the supreme leader of Iran, met with the leader of Hamas and emphasized the support for the Palestinian cause. And after that, on October 3rd, he tweeted that the Zionist regime is dying and coming to an end. 
And a few days after that, on October 7th, Hamas attacked Israel. Joel Rosenberg. Well, Iran openly has funded Hamas, armed Hamas, trained Hamas terrorists. Um, You don't need to see an actual text message or a document that says Iran told Hamas to do this. This is clearly a carefully planned operation that would require a state actor. If you ask a child in Iran, they would tell you that Iran is behind this attack and Hamas, Hezbollah, they are all proxies of Iran and they are supporting them, training them, and there is no doubt about this. According to Marzi, Iranians waste no time in poisoning the minds of young children. She well remembers being a young schoolgirl. Every morning they force children to stand in the line and say death to America, death to Israel, and they teach them at their classes. These people are dirty. They don't uh, deserve to leave. They call them the occupier of the land of Palestinians, which is all lies. When you think about it, the most sobering aspect of this conflict is not the weapons or Hamas or even the Iranians. It's something much more intense. Tom Doyle. The physical war on the ground is really just a reflection of the spiritual war raging in the heavenlies. There is that potential that through highly charged demonic activity that normally peaceful people that wouldn't want this war start to move to the radical side. And that's what we have to pray against. The devil is against there being peace. The devil is against people being set free in Christ. And so that's something that we see. We're seeing even some marches in America that are concerning, where people are thinking all of this is good and justified, and it's just pure evil what Hamas did to the people. So somehow, latently, it's just like those evil spirits that rose up during World War II, where people hated the Nazis, didn't want Hitler, but all of a sudden were behind him and 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 fully engaged. We're praying that doesn't happen. We know that's what's happening behind the scenes with the evil spirits that are trying to cause this to be something bigger than it is, move to a regional war, then to a global war. Erez Soroff points out the hard truth. The one piece that is missing is there is no solution. Humanly speaking, there's no solution. The only solution is for both Jews and Arabs to come to know the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. The conflict began with the sons of Abraham quarreling on who the father loves. And we see that unfold for 4,000 years. And so the roots are spiritual and the solution for this conflict is therefore spiritual. And the proof of that claim from Erez Soraf? We have met Jews in Israel that used to hate Palestinians because of all the wars. We've met Muslims in Gaza and the West Bank that hated Jews because of the wars and the situation, everything they've been exposed to. The only thing that we've seen that has brought them together is when they're touched, when their heart is transformed by Jesus Christ, when they receive salvation, and then transformation happens. And as they read in the scriptures in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemy, they can be free from that as they take their cues from Jesus and not a political party or the group that they're a part of. That's what can be the game changer. Jesus is going to bring Arabs and Jews together 
And we've seen that in many cases in Israel. Listen, the U.N. is not going to pull this off. It's not going to happen. The nations will divide. That's just naturally what happens. They start choosing sides. Jesus is the one that they need, and that's what we're praying for, for Jew and Arab to come to faith in Christ and for there to be a revival. If the barbaric killings that you've heard about online and on television seem almost inhuman, it's because they are. Joel Rosenberg. I think the best way is to understand that this is a demonic attack, right? The simplest way to understand why some people in the world hate Israel and the Jews so much is to go to John 10.10, right? This is where Jesus says that, well, he starts by saying the thief, right, which is Satan, came to rob, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In that one verse, we see the dichotomy. It's not that Satan is equal to Jesus, not at all, but everything that Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit want Satan is against. So when God says in the Bible, I love the Jewish people and have chosen them to bless them, Satan says, fine, I will hate them and curse them. When God says, I'm going to give the Jewish people the promised land of Israel, uh, Satan says, fine, I'm going to take it away. When God says, I'm going to make Jerusalem the city of peace, Satan says, I'll make it a city of bloodshed. When God says, I'm going to turn the, the temple mount inside Jerusalem into my holy place, Satan says, I'm going to desecrate it. And that's the difference. This is not normal criminals. This this is a demonic, satanic, genocidal force. And people need to wake up and see it biblically. And once they understand that, then I encourage people to give financially to help Christians in Israel and Messianic Jews to care for our friends and neighbors with humanitarian relief. That's the ministry that my wife and I started 17 years ago called the Joshua Fund the Joshua Fund, uh, over 17 years, we've raised and invested in Israel and the Palestinians and the, and the neighborhood almost $100 million to do humanitarian relief and strengthen the church and help fulfill the Great Commission in our generation in this part of the world where I live. And if people are thinking, well, I, I want to help, good. Uh, go to joshuafund.com. Get involved. We've got teams on the ground every moment of every day. They're Israeli citizens. They know the language. They vetted our partners, and um, we need your help. One of the stranger reactions that has surfaced in response to the Hamas attack comes from those who question the amount of media coverage given to this Middle East war, particularly when compared to Russia's war with Ukraine. What to make of that? Thoughts now from Charlie Dyer. Well, and it's amazing how much coverage there has been on Ukraine, though I think uh, many Americans have become war-weary in that regard. But in regard to the comparison between Ukraine and the war in Israel right now, I think two things. First, as Christians, we should have a special place in our hearts for Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, God certainly does. Uh, we can't ever forget that. In fact, in speaking about Israel, in Zechariah 2.8, it says, whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. And second, while atrocities have been committed in Russia's war with Ukraine, much of the fighting has been between the armies of the two nations. In contrast, Hamas fires rockets not at military targets, but at civilian population centers. Uh, the current conflict began with Hamas deliberately attacking civilians, especially women and children, in their own homes. Scott Phillips. It is Israel's version of a 9-11, and we are one of Israel's greatest allies. And of course, as Christians, we're called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and called to support Israel. So I would say that's, that's why this one is important. 
Justin Crone underscores. Well, right now, I mean, th- this is the atrocity of the moment. It's been hard for me to help some people understand who don't seem to understand that this truly is Israel's 9-11. In fact, I would say it's even bigger than that. I've been trying to compare what's happened in Israel in recent days to previous wars that Israel has had, and nothing compares to it. There's another component that makes this war with Hamas particularly chilling. Joel Rosenberg. What we're concerned about, John, is it's it's bad enough to be at war with Hamas right now. But on top of that, we're concerned in Israel that Iran is going to order its other major terrorist force in the region, Hezbollah, in Lebanon to unleash its 150,000 missiles at us. This could go from bad to worse, John, and that's why we need people praying and giving and asking God to do miracles, including releasing all 199 Israeli hostages being held in Gaza miraculously. That's what we need, and that's what we're asking, and we're not going to pray with cynicism. We're going to pray in faith. James tells us you have not because you ask not. Well, we're not asking with impure motives. We're asking for victory. And I'll add one more thing, John. I pray for the Hamas leadership and all their terrorists. I pray that God would convert them with dreams and visions of Jesus tonight or kill them tomorrow. We can't, they're savages. We, I want them to get saved. I've interviewed a lot of former radical Islamist terrorists who've gotten saved dramatically and miraculously by Jesus all over this region. I've traveled all over this region from Morocco to Iraq to Afghanistan, and I've met and interviewed people like this. So God can do it. Nothing's impossible with God, but he needs to either convert them or kill them because we cannot let them butcher our people. From Moody Radio, this is After the Attack on Israel, Making Sense of the Senseless, a one-hour report. You'll find this program online at moodyradio.org slash specials. Once again, our host, John Geiger. One thing that strikes me as senseless, and maybe you as well, is the lack of interest displayed by some Christians toward this war. Charlie Dyer, what can we say to those who just don't care? Uh, My answer starts by saying you may not care until it happens to you. I'm reminded of that haunting quote by Martin Niemöller, First, they came for the socialists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a socialist. And then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. 9-11 is a reminder that we're not immune to the world's evils. But even more significant than that is what God says in his word. In Genesis 12, 3, speaking to Abraham and ultimately the Jewish people, God said, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. God will ultimately hold us accountable for how we respond to this attack. But what about the person who says, look, God has replaced Israel with the church. And I have that person read Romans chapter 11, where Paul, the one place in the New Testament, explains the relationship between Israel and the church. And what Paul says is there's a future for Israel. God has a love for Israel because his gifts and his calling, and he's talking about the gifts and calling God gave to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the Jewish people. He says those are irrevocable. Uh, When God makes a promise, he doesn't go back on his promise. And if God doesn't go back on his promise, it doesn't matter if it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament. It's still God who spoke it. Michael Rydelnik suggests that what's at stake here is nothing less than an attempt at genocide. 
Hamas is not driven by an anti-Zionism or an anti-Israel attitude. Hamas is driven by genocide. They are driven by a hatred of the Jewish people, anti-Semitism. And we see what happened when the world ignored the hatred of the Nazis, the anti-Semitism of the Nazis. They stood passively by. It didn't matter to them in the 1930s. They didn't work to try and bring Jewish people to safety, what they could have done. Uh, Instead, they said, it's not our business. And as a result, we see what happened, uh, the horror of the Holocaust. And so I don't think we have the privilege of not caring. Scott Phillips takes us to Genesis 12, verse 3. We can't ignore what's happening in the world, and as Christians, we're called to care, to love our neighbors ourselves. And when it comes to Israel, as it says in Genesis, I will bless those who bless you. Uh, talking about the people of Israel. And as Christians, we're called uh, to care about what's happening in Israel. We're called to care about what's happening, um, you know, to the Jewish people. And this is the largest murder of Jews since the Holocaust. And as Christians, we have to understand our role in that. And we have to stand in the gap. We have to pray. We have to take action. uh, And we have to care because it's important. People need to wake up and to stand with Israel before it's too late. Marzia Amirazada. This is not just a war in the country of Israel. It will expand to other countries, and we see that every day this war is expanding. And lest we think this war is somehow way far away and would never come to our door, Michael Rydelnik cautions. We can be assured that all the radical Islamic terrorists would love to see the same happen to the United States. And so I think we need to support Israel for that reason. And young people who might think, oh, I don't care anything about this. My friends, this is for your protection that Israel has to act. Justin Crone. Listen, there's always going to be some people who just don't care. But if you're listening to this right now, you need to be someone who cares. You have no excuse not to care. We need to be praying for the people of Israel. We need to be praying for the innocent people on both sides uh, of this conflict. One of the more shocking realities we've encountered here in America is the huge outpouring of support for Hamas. Large-scale demonstrations, universities condemning Israel for the attack by Hamas. You say, how could America have come to this point? Joel Rosenberg suggests it's part of a larger slide towards spiritual delusion. Well, something uh, very uh, disturbing is happening in America. I mean, you start with abortion on demand to the last moment of the ninth month. You you move on to people being unable to know or admit the difference between a man and a woman. America is heading into Romans chapter one, where they're just being turned over, I think, by God into the foolishness and the delusions and the lies that they have bought, and, and they refuse to turn away and look at the truth of the Bible. It absolutely dumbfounds me. It absolutely breaks my heart. Justin Crone. It's hard to imagine how you can support the actions of what these people did to these poor innocent moms and dads and sons and daughters, grandparents. But again, this is a part of the great confusion that we're seeing in these days in our world. And we need to just continue to pray that uh, God's truth would prevail, um, that people would open up their hearts and truly surrender to him and to see things for, for what they really are, to see things through his eyes. Again, Marzia Amirazada. What Americans do not understand that this is not just a war in Israel. This is a war about humanity. 
Hamas killing innocent people. They're killing children, cutting their head, burning civilians alive, raping women, kidnapping many innocent people to Gaza and killing them. These are just inhuman killing of Jews that we are watching. And everyone who is stand with Hamas, they are standing with these kind of inhuman behaviors. And this is not just the war in Israel. This is based on their theology that this is a religious war. So what should we say to a friend or family member in favor of Hamas? Well, I would say you're going down the wrong path. If you have a concern about the Palestinians, pray that Hamas will be removed. Everybody wants to live in peace. Everybody wants to raise their kids and feed them and send them to a good school. Unfortunately, you can blame Israel all day, and they don't do everything right for sure, but yet they're not wanting to go in and just destroy the Palestinians. Hamas leadership has one goal, and it's to destroy Israel, and the people are just collateral damage for them. They don't care They're not even concerned about their well-being. The only thing Hamas wants to do is to show pictures of Palestinians in suffering, and they are suffering, but they, they want people to see that and then come against Israel. So their motivation is not for the people. We're praying for Hamas to be removed, and that'd be the best thing they could do. Pray for good leadership, support. Palestinians that really want the best for their people rather than Hamas, which takes all of the money and spends it on trying to destroy Israel. What it shows is that over the last you know, several decades, Israel has been so demonized, so mischaracterized, and has been made to look as, you know, they're the bully in this. That it hasn't been that Israel is just simply trying to defend itself, but they've just been simply demonized over the last several decades, and people have believed it. That the media has played a part here is undeniable, says Joel Rosenberg. Well, it's because of the, the moral collapse of people in the newsrooms of major media outlets. I mean, you know, if, I mean, it, it's so bad. Uh, the, the bias against Israel, against Christians, against Jews is so bad that, you know, for years I've been doing this and I, you know, I live here, I'm a dual citizen, I'm a Christian, but I, I decided I, I either I'm going to be super mad every day at how the media treats Israel and the Jewish people and Christians in this region, and I'm going to have an aneurysm because I'm going to be so mad, or I'm going to do something about it. And that's why I started two news sites called all Israel News, which is at allisrael.com, and All Arab News, which is at allarab.news. Why did I create these two? Because we wanted to have a group of Israeli and Palestinian and American and other Lebanese Christians doing original reporting. It's not a missionary site. It's a, it's a media ministry, but it's real news. It's real analysis of what's happening. We're breaking stories. We're getting interviews with the top leaders of the country. I was just with uh, Israeli President Herzog on Thursday. I was interviewing today the Israeli National Security Advisor because we're credible. People believe that all initial news is a serious news operation, and we are. And so it is an information war, and um, the other side has all the advantages. But when it comes to the media awards, we are up against mainstream media goliaths, but it only took uh, one stone from David. So you can be small 
but you need to be scrappy and you need to trust in the Lord. Those outlets with their billions of dollars and all those, they're, uh, they're against the Lord and that's not going to go well. And um, we're, we're standing with the God of Israel and the God of, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit and we're leaving the results to God. We've called this program After the Attack on Israel, Making Sense of the Senseless. So how can followers of Jesus see the awful videos, read the headlines, and somehow make sense of it all? Charlie Dyer. Well, I think we have to start with the Bible. You know, Lamentations chapter 3, uh, Jerusalem had been destroyed. Jeremiah is trying to make sense out of something that's utterly horrific and senseless. And in the middle of chapter 3, he pauses and says, This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Another example is a contemporary of his, uh, the prophet Habakkuk. Uh, Even in the middle of his time of trouble, Habakkuk stops and prays, though the fig tree doesn't bud and there's no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, the fields produce no food, though there's no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, if everything seems to fall apart, he says then, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And I think what they're saying is, in spite of everything seeming to fall apart all around us, uh, what they're reminding us is, keep our focus on God, because God is still in control and he still has a plan. Scott Phillips. Well, there certainly is evil in the world, and we know that. We see it all the time. And for the Jewish people, their story, unfortunately, is a story of persecution. Their story is a story of people wanting to murder Jews. This story has been around for thousands of years. We saw one of the most horrific things happen to the Jewish people when the Holocaust happened, you know, just 78 years ago. You know, it's hard to make sense of this other than to know that there is evil in the world and there is an evil one that wants to destroy humanity and there is an evil one who uh, wants to see Israel destroyed. Another way we make sense of this tragedy is by caring enough to respond. Michael Rydelnik. Here's something that any follower of Jesus needs to remember. Proverbs 24, verses 11 to 12. Rescue those being taken off to death and save those stumbling towards slaughter. If you say, but we didn't know about this, won't he who weighs hearts consider it? Won't he who protects your life know? Won't he repay a person according to his work? And maybe, just maybe, the first part of that work for you and me is to pray. What better time than right now? Lord, I don't understand why all this happened or why such evil is allowed to take place, but I believe, and I think we all believe, you're in control, even when we can't understand why it has all happened. We believe you will hold all those who commit evil to account. So right now, I want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Help Israel defeat Hamas. Protect the lives of the hostages. Bring them back safely. Be with the Jewish and Arab believers there in the land. Help them to boldly share the true message of peace that can only come through Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Lord, I pray for the government of Israel that you'd give them great wisdom in carrying out this war. I pray for the civilian population of Gaza, the Palestinians there, that you would help them to get to safety that Hamas would not use them as human shields. And Lord, I pray that you would be with the Israel Defense Forces, as your word says, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. I pray that you would do this against this evil group called Hamas or violence. 
Father, we come to you in this dark hour. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the peace of Israel. We pray against Israel's enemies. We, we pray that they would be defeated. We pray that in the midst of their hatred, in the midst of their desire to destroy what it is you are for, that they would come against you and discover that you cannot be moved and Israel, your beloved, will not be moved. Lord, I pray that they would come to know you in the midst of this. I pray that there would be some who, in the midst of their actions, are like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And that they would turn and that they would see you. So God, reveal yourself to them. We pray for our enemies. But Lord, we pray ultimately in the midst of all of this that your will will be done, that your name will be glorified. So Lord, that is our prayer. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to After the Attack on Israel, Making Sense of the Senseless. You can hear the entire program again at moodyradio.org specials. This broadcast is a team effort, including studio recording by Dan Anderson, sound mix by Chris Seagard, and creative insight from Bill Davis. I'm Donna Leland. After the Attack on Israel was written and produced by John Gager and is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Studying the Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament is a great way to study the Scriptures, but it can be confusing. The biblical authors came from different cultures and a different time, and they used different styles. I'm Michael Radelnik. I teamed up with my good friend Ed Bloom to bring you the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy. It covers and explains in context virtually every messianic prediction, and it all points to the promised one, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Get your copy at moodypublishers.com. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this special documentary on the, uh, the situation in the Middle East from Moody Broadcasting after the attack on Israel. And you know, the neat thing about a podcast is you can recommend this to your friends. You can listen to it again because there was so much information here and there's so much that we need to counter in mainstream media that uh, I think it's worth a second listen. Thank you for being with us. That's a Kwame and Company podcast number 32.